Section 13 of Mother Earth, Volume 1, Number 4, June 1906. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Mother Earth, Number 4 Paternalistic Government by Theodore Schroeder Continuation here is paternal solicitude with a vengeance, in a law I requote from Wordsworth Donisthorpe. They shall have bows and arrows, and use the same of Sundays and holidays, and leave all playing at tennis or football, and other games called quoits, dice, casting of stone, kales, and other such importune games. For as much as labourers and grooms keep greyhounds and other dogs, and on the holidays when good Christians be at church hearing divine service, they go hunting in parks, warrens, and conagrees, it is ordained that no manner of layman which hath not lands to the value of forty shillings a year shall from henceforth keep any greyhound or other dog to hunt, nor shall he use ferrets, nets, hays, hair-pipes, nor cords, nor any engines for to take or destroy deer, hares, nor conies, nor other gentlemen's game, under pain of twelve months' imprisonment. For the great dearth that is in many places of the realm of poultry, it is ordained that the price of a young capon shall not pass threepence, and of an old fourpence, of a hen twopence, of a pullet a penny, of a goose fourpence. Esquires and gentlemen under the estate of a knight shall not wear cloth of a higher price than four and a half marks. They shall wear no cloth of gold, nor silk, nor silver, nor no manner of clothing embroidered, ring-button, nor brooch of gold, nor of silver, nor nothing of stone, nor no manner of fur, and their wives and daughters shall be of the same condition as to their vesture and apparel, without any turning up, or purple, or apparel of gold, silver, nor of stone. Because that servants and labourers will not, nor by long season would, serve and labour without outrageous and excessive hire, and much more than hath been given to such servants and labourers in any time past, so that for scarcity of the said servants and labourers the husbands and land-tenants may not pay their rent nor live upon their lands, to the great damage and loss as well of the lords as of the commons. It is accorded and assented that the bailiff for husbandry shall take by the years thirteen shillings threepence, and his clothing once by the year at most, the master hind ten shillings, the carter ten shillings, the shepherd ten shillings, the oxherd six shillings eightpence, the swineherd six shillings, a woman labourer six shillings, a day six shillings, a driver of the plough seven shillings at the most, and every other labourer and servant according to his degree, and less in the country where less was wont to be given, without clothing, courtesy, or other reward by covenant. If any give or take by covenant more than is above specified, at the first that they shall be thereof attained, as well the givers as the takers shall pay the value of the excess so taken, and at the second time of their attainer the double value of such excess, and at the third time the treble value of such excess, and if the taker so attained have nothing whereof to pay the said excess, he shall have forty days' imprisonment. Our Puritan fathers had the same paternal solicitude as all other tyrants. They made it a crime to disregard the Sabbath, or to deny Scripture, or the truth of Christianity, or of the Trinity. In the records of the colony for September 1639 it is written, Forasmuch as it is evident unto this court, that the common custom of drinking to one another, 
is a mere useless ceremony, and draweth on that abominable practice of drinking healths, and is also an occasion of much waste of the good creatures, and of many other sin, etc. Then it declares that such is a reproach to a Christian commonwealth, wherein the least evils are not to be tolerated. In the instructions of the Massachusetts Company to Endicott and his council, the trade in tobacco is only allowed to the old planters, if they conceive that they cannot do otherwise provide for their livelihood. It is left to the discretion of Endicott and his council to give way for the present to their planting of it, in such manner and with such restrictions, as they may think fitting. But, it is added, we absolutely forbid the sale of it or the use of it by any of our own particular private men's servants, unless upon urgent occasion for the benefit of health and taken privately. In the records of the colony of Massachusetts for September 3, 1634, it is ordered that victuallers or keepers of an ordinary shall not suffer any tobacco to be taken into their house under the penalty of five shillings for every offence to be paid by the victualler and twelvepence by the party that it takes it. Further, it is ordered that no person shall take tobacco publicly under the penalty of two shillings sixpence, nor privately in his own house or in the house of another before strangers, and that two or more shall not take it together anywhere under the aforesaid penalty for every offence. The laws which our colonial fathers enacted against excess and bravery in apparel are fitted to excite a smile, but there is something more than ludicrous in the aspect of grave lawmakers passing judgment on all the minutiae of dress and finding matter of offence in an extra slash or a needless garniture of lace. Against this last-named article the zeal of our Puritan fathers seems to have been especially stirred up. In 1634 it was ordered that no person, either man or woman, shall hereafter make or buy any apparel, either woolen, silk, or linen, with any lace on it, silver, gold, silk, or thread, under the penalty of forfeiture of such clothes. In 1636 it was enacted that no person, after one month, shall make or sell any bone lace or other lace to be worn upon any garment or linen, upon pain of five shillings the yard for every yard of such lace so made or sold or set on neither shall any tailor set any lace upon any garment upon pain of ten shillings for every offence provided that binding or small edging laces may be used upon garments or linen again three years later a new edict was launched at this obnoxious material because there is much complaint of the excessive wearing of lace and other superfluities tending to little use or benefit but to the nourishing of pride and the exhausting of men's estates and also of evil example to others the law of sixteen thirty four was indeed repealed in sixteen forty four but in sixteen fifty one the court to their great grief are compelled to try their hand at the work again though frankly confessing the impotence of all previous legislation and evidently awakening to a sense of the inherent difficulties of the subject we acknowledge it they say to be a matter of much difficulty in regard of the blindness of men's minds and the stubbornness of their wills to set down exact rules to confine all sorts of persons and so leaving the wealthier class to their own conscience of fancy they undertake to prescribe for the people of mean condition it was therefore ordered, in 1651, that no one whose estate is not of the value of two hundred pounds shall wear any gold or silver lace or gold or silver buttons or any bone lace above two shillings per yard or silk hoods or scarfs, 
and moreover the selectmen of the town are required to fine anybody whom they shall judge to exceed their rank and ability in the costliness or fashion of their apparel in any respect and finally a law passed in 1662 forbids children and servants to wear any apparel exceeding the quality and condition of their persons or estate, the grand jury and county court of the shire, being judges of the offence. One provision of the law of 1634 against new and immodest fashions is too remarkable to be omitted. It reads as follows. Moreover, it is agreed, if any man shall judge the wearing of any the forename particulars, new fashions, or long hair, or anything of the like nature, to be uncomely or prejudicial to the common good, and the party offending reform not the same, upon notice given him, then the next assistant, being informed thereof, shall have power to bind the party so offending, to answer it at the next court, if the case so requires provided and it is the meaning of the court that men and women shall have liberty to wear out such apparel as they are now provided of except the immoderate great sleeves slashed apparel immoderate great veils long wings etc what intolerable tyranny of private surveillance is indicated in the phrase what any man shall judge to be uncomely in the second letter of instructions, dated June 1629, to Endicott and his council, they are exhorted to prevent the sale of strong waters to the Indians, and to punish any of their own people who shall become drunk in the use of them. In the preamble to a law enacted in 1646, one is led to expect an enforcement of the modern principles of abstinence and prohibition, since, after declaring that drunkenness is a vice to be abhorred of all nations especially those which hold out and profess the gospel of christ jesus he goes on to assert that any strict laws against the sin will not prevail unless the cause be taken away but it would seem that the cause in the eyes of our puritan lawmakers was an indiscriminate sale of spirituous drinks for the law chiefly enacts that none but vintners shall have permission to retail wine and strong water it is also permitted to constables to search any tavern or even any private house suspected to sell wine contrary to this order moreover no person is to drink or tipple at unseasonable times in houses of entertainment the unseasonable time being declared to be after nine in the evening but these laws were of small avail for in sixteen forty eight the court is grieved to confess it is found by experience that a great quantity of wine is spent and much thereof abused to excess of drinking and unto drunkenness itself notwithstanding all the wholesome laws provided and published for the preventing thereof it therefore orders that those who are authorized to sell wine and beer shall not harbor a drunkard in their houses but shall forthwith give him up to be dealt with by the proper officer under penalty of five pounds for disobedience in sixteen thirty six one peter bussaker was censured for drunkenness to be whipped and to have twenty stripes sharply inflicted and fined five pounds for slighting the magistrates etc in march sixteen thirty four it was ordered that robert coles for drunkenness by him committed at roxbury shall be disfranchised wear about his neck and so to hang upon his outward garment a d made of red cloth and set upon white to continue this for a year, and not to leave it off at any time when he comes amongst company, under penalty of forty shillings, for the first offence, and five pounds for the second. What was the efficacy of the whipping, or the scarlet letter? We are not informed. Of course, people capable of such legislation must frame fantastic definitions of liberty. 
Here is an old one whose sentiments have been often parroted by unthinking humans of modern times. It reads, True liberty consists in a freedom of doing and receiving good under the protection of a government solicitous for the people's good. Such has always been the tyrant's conception of freedom, and strange to say, finds many endorsements even to this day. It has recently been solemnly announced from the judicial bench that the only liberty an American has is the liberty to do the right thing. Of course, according to other people's conception of right, that is precisely the kind of tyranny or liberty that was enjoyed by the victims of the paternalistic laws above described. Persons afflicted with newspaper intelligence express the conception that the individual has no rights that government may not invade by that hollow phrase, liberty under the law. Liberty under the law is what the government-ridden peasants of Russia enjoy. Liberty under the law was the pleasure of those who expired with indescribable agony on the rack and amid the flames. Liberty under the law was meted out to the millions of victims of the witchcraft delusion. Liberty under the law was also the liberty of our southern chattel slaves before as well as after the war. Liberty under the law is the same idea of liberty which every tyrant has ever advanced. As for myself, I shouldn't object to a little liberty in spite of the law, when that does not conform to the rule of liberty as laid down by Herbert Spencer in these words. Every man has freedom to do all that he wills, provided he infringes not the equal freedom of any other man. End of section 13 Recording by Stephen Harvey